and yesterday we actually had a, a youth uh, garage sale, and um, <clears throat> we didn't sell the youth. Um, no, we did, but the funny thing is that, you know, in a garage sale, we all donated stuff that can be sold for the youth ministry and for their different things that they do. And um, I think those of us that donated, you know, like Sherry said, she brought four boxes, she went home with four boxes. <laughs> just how garage sales are, but we traded junk, and hopefully we made some good um, proceeds for the youth ministry there. So I'm Pastor Marilyn. I have the privilege of um, preaching the word with us this morning, and, and it's always an honor for me to do so. Um, last weekend, I was uh, speaking at the women's retreat in Silver Spur, and um, since uh, Cecile was the only one that went with me, I figured it was okay to give one of the messages that I gave there here. So whether you wanted to hear it or not, you're going to get it today, okay? So um, the theme of the women's retreat last weekend was steadfast. Uh, it's not a warm and fuzzy theme by any means. Um, it implies the need to, um, to persevere, right? It implies a crisis. It implies a struggle, um, it's not, not the most warm and fuzzy theme to preach on, um, but we all can relate to times where we have to be steadfast in some form or another, and we all go through struggles, whether it be internal or external. In fact, the psalmist writes, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. That's why I love the psalm so much, because the psalmist uh, they provide for us a rich demonstration of the realness of what it's like to, to walk with God in faith and the struggles that we go through and the need for a steadfast faith and sometimes how hard it is and sometimes those valleys of doubt and discouragement that we all go through, those valleys of wondering where is God in my time of need and what is happening in my life. And they're not bad times, they're just called being human, and I love the Psalms for that reason. We all go through these valleys when, when life disappoints, right? When uh, in parenting, when you just don't know if you're doing it right, and you don't feel like you're a good mother or father, or when your children aren't turning out the way you thought, and you thought you did everything you were supposed to, and you start to blame yourself and shame yourself, um, and for finances, when, you know, your retirement next year is not what you thought it would be, and you're wondering how you're going to make it, uh, or you lose a job, and you're not sure how God is going to provide for your family now. Loss, right? We all suffer loss, loss of a loved one, right? Um, I have a cousin who was um, killed in the war in the beginning in Iraq, and, and um, so um, we just... We, we grieve that loss, for sure. Um, there are times where we lose a job, we lose a home, uh, we lose a dream. God takes a turn in our life that we, we didn't expect. There are times when we lose friendships. That can be very painful, too. Uh, times when we feel like an outsider at school, and we need to have a steadfast faith, even though we're a Christian. Times when we feel like an outsider, maybe at home and in our community, um, our marriages. Maybe there's loss in our marriage. Maybe our marriages have settled into a disappointing pattern and we, we don't know how to get the joy back and the love back. And these are times that require great steadfast faith and a steadfast perseverance. 
Maybe there's worry. Maybe there's someone in your life like mine that you worry about, that you wonder why God just isn't showing up. Why is he letting them go through these struggles? And you're just worried about that person, and it requires a steadfast faith for you and I. We could multiply the examples. You can add your own. You may find yourself asking questions like, why God? Is there really a God? Is God good? Can I count on on, on God. And these times call for us to have a steadfast faith, which is the title of our message this morning. So I want to begin by looking at steadfast. <clears throat> steadfast requires what we, um, you can go to the next slide, what requires what we would understand is to persevere, right? Uh, to stay the course, right? Steadfast, persevere, stay the course. These are not my favorite words, you know, this usually means a difficult time. And you can fill the dots in, stay the course in, and you can fill in where you are today that you need to stay the course in. And it doesn't have to be a crisis, right? It, it can be um, something, just the normal, natural challenges of life. That It could just be aging. It could just be um, uh, just a, a tr- normal life transitions are just hard. And God asks us to stay the course in those transitions. Now, I, I just want to make clear for the sake of preaching that I'm not advocating staying the course in toxic or abusive relationships. That's a completely different message, just if you, if you will. What I'm talking about is just staying the course in your normal and nat- natural life challenges that life just brings all of us. For life's typical challenges, God says, and we can go to the next slide, Um, Sorry, there should be one before that. If not, I'll just read it. For life's typical challenges, um, God says, By your patient endurance, you will gain your souls. By your patient endurance, oh, you will gain your souls. What what does God mean by that, right? How do we, we gain our souls by our patient endurance? Like, wait, wait, I thought we gain our souls by faith in Christ, right? So we have to understand what, what is he talking about when, when God speaks to us about persevering and being steadfast in faith. And we have some common misdemeanors, if you will, misnomers about uh, reflections about perseverance, character, faith that are misconceptions. We have some common misunderstandings, and that is one, when we suffer or go through hard times, we have two choices, quit or persevere. Sometimes it feels like that. Uh, We live in a culture full of quitters. People quit on their jobs, marriages, kids, teams, churches, etc. If we choose to persevere, it leads to character in our lives. It's the most common common understanding of perseverance. And character can be developed for it says, and we'll look at this today, that suffering produces character. One person said, but character is not developed overnight. It is a long process of perseverance. It is not something we gain overnight. Another person said, we can teach people skills in a few hours, days, or months, but character development takes years. Parents have said that sports develop character through hard work, patience, discipline, winning, losing, attitude, being perseverant. And it's a proven character that leads to hope, we are told in the scriptures. And then we have the supernatural factor that God is in the life-changing, soul-shaping business, especially when we are struggling. 
That's actually the supernatural factor that we're going to look at today, that that God is in the the life-changing, soul-shaping business, especially when we go through our times of struggle. So this is what the Bible tells us about perseverance, and we'll start with that. Sorry about that. Thank you. Romans 5, 3 through 4 is going to be our main text this morning. We have it on the screen for you. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, which, by the way, you know, that's a whole other level of spiritual maturity, right? I, I, that's, we're going to look at why Paul says that today, because when I first read this, when I first read this, and even continued to look at it until I dug in deep for this study, I had no idea how and why Paul would rejoice in suffering. just to be honest, right? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Well, to be honest with you, sometimes the character and the perseverance and the hope, to me, are just not quite worth the level of suffering that I go through, right? If if we're just honest, sometimes we're like, it's okay, I'll go without that character, thank you very much. Like, I'm I'm, I'm good. I, I think I'm good enough, right? So, Paul says this, and, and we don't quite understand what he's saying. And so we start by asking two important questions this morning, and that is this. How do we persevere in our trials so that our perseverance, right, leads to character and character hope? How do we do that? If this is worthy of the suffering, how do we do that? And then the second question we'll look at today is how do we experience peace and hope in the midst of disappointment and struggles so that our suffering produces these good things, right? And so to answer those very honest, important questions, we have to look at two important truths. And the first one is this. We must understand whose character is proven in our perseverance. This is a very big deal because if we don't understand this, we might just say, I pass, Lord. <laughs> you know, I, I can't choose whether I suffer or not, but I'm certainly not going to embrace and rejoice in it. But when we understand whose character is proven, it changes everything for us. Paul said this, and we don't have it on a slide, but I'll read it to you. <clears throat> he said, my grace is sufficient for you, which is God speaking to Paul, <clears throat> For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul responded, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, what Paul wants us to understand this morning, and if you can get the parallels, that when we seek to prove God's power at work in our lives, instead of trying to prove ourselves or our faith, or our endurance, when we seek to prove God's power at work, we will actually embrace and even rejoice in the suffering that we're going through. See, it's all about whose character we want to prove. However, our feel-good interpretation of perseverance and suffering is often, when we looked at Romans 5, 3 through 4, that it's our character that is being developed, proving the strength of our faith. And quite frankly, the suffering can be so intense sometimes that that's just not worth it to us unless we understand that as we persevere in faith, our faith typically gets stronger, but while the tribulations can lead us to strengthen our faith and character, perseverance proves God's character in us. See, while it's true that we usually grow from our struggles if we seek the Lord in them, 
Well, that's true. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that's actually a byproduct of understanding that it's not you who grow your faith through the struggle. It is God in you. It is proving God's character in you and through you and to you that grows your faith. It is Christ in us, see? It's the proof of the reality and the faithfulness of the living Lord who is risen, who has sent us the Holy Spirit. And that as we're able to persevere because of God's character being proven in us through difficult times, Christ is proven as the risen Lord who has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And therefore, Paul says, I rejoice in that opportunity for the world to see Christ in me, for the world to see Christ has risen, for the world to see the power of the Holy Spirit that has been sent to me because Christ is risen. See, is a completely different attitude and perspective on whose character is being proven. Look with me in the next slide, Romans 5, 3 through 5, which is our text, but adding the next verse really shows that. So we'll reread. <clears throat> Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because why? Because we're so, we get so good, we get so strong because we prove our faith. No, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see the difference there. Sometimes we stop at verse 4 and we think, okay, my suffering is going to prove my character, it's going to build my character, it's going to prove my faith. We're going to talk about that later, but that's just a recipe for disaster. I'll just warn you, I've tried it. It just doesn't work. We usually fall on our face when we do that, right? When I, when, and, and when I struggle with Paul's understanding of, suffering, of rejoicing in his sufferings, then I, I begin to understand that, that it's God's power in us, Christ in us through the Holy Spirit that's being proven through our suffering and our weaknesses. Paul writes this also in Colossians 1, 25 through through 27. <clears throat> I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, talking about the gospel. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Don't move yet. Go back. Sorry. The mystery is Christ in us. If you look up mystery and you trail it all the way to what is that mystery that Paul talks about. It's this secret plan that God has had from the beginning of time. That Christ would come and die for our sins. He would raise from the dead because he is the Christ. He is sinless. He is a living God. And being raised from the dead and conquering death, he sends the Holy Spirit in us, which is Christ in us. See, this is the mystery that's been kept hidden. And go to the next slide, please. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, making known what? Christ in us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see how the, the perseverance, the struggles, the trials that Paul rejoices in, and if you, if you trace through Paul's life, and I think we read them the last time I preached, that there were some trials he thought he was just going to die in. They were very severe. Most of us have not had to endure such kind of trials. But he rejoiced in those because it reveals the riches of the mystery in him that Christ is in him. And, and he's preaching to the Jews and he's preaching to the Gentiles. And he's trying to say, this is the secret plan God had all along. 
It's Christ in us. It's a beautiful plan. It's powerful. It's the risen God. And he's so pumped up about it and excited about it that he's willing to suffer, and he embraces that suffering for it. And so the point is this, that if we seek God in our disappointments and struggles, God's character, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is proven through our tribulation. And then his perseverance, his perseverance, which he is, cannot fail us, he is perfect, his perseverance brings forth a stronger and more faith in us, more pure, purified faith in us, see? So it's not us that purifies our faith. It's not us that, that, that produces our character. It's his character that's proven in us, which produces a more stronger, purified faith in who? In us? No. Actually, it's the opposite. It's confidence in him, right? That the, when we know we're leaning on God and we know he's the one holding us up, he's the one helping us, then we build our confidence in him and we have less and less confidence in ourselves, See, and that's where he wants us to be. Uh, think of the person <clears throat> who just keeps getting up every time they fall. Think of that person. And, and, and as you watch that person, <clears throat> that Christian that just keeps hit, getting hit with struggles and, and trials and, and, and weaknesses, and, and they just keep coming forward, isn't it inspiring to you? What is inspiring is not so much that person, but Christ in them. What you see is God is real. God is holding that person up because you know you couldn't stand that, right? <clears throat> I think of our brother Denver. I know, Denver, you hate being spotlight, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Um, our brother Denver, who, who is going through a severe illness and, and, and just crippling his body, and yet his faith is remaining strong. In fact, his faith is probably getting stronger, how is that, see? How is that, that that when God doesn't answer the prayers that we start praying in the beginning, how is that that actually his faith is being more and more purified because his confidence, right, is that God is in him and holding him up. And as we see him, we know the only thing holding him up is God, see? So we see the Holy Spirit is in Denver because without the Holy Spirit, who knows where his, his hope and his peace would be, see? So it's a beautiful thing where we, where we see this in other people, and people love seeing Jesus alive and at work in and through others, see? And, and, and by the way, this, is, this also goes for unanswered prayers. So um, I, I remember there was a time in our lives where, where we were going through a lot. We were losing businesses and houses, and um, children were going haywire, and there wasn't a lot going well in our lives, except for God was just opening up more and more and more ministry to us, which doesn't really make sense if you think that you only get to do ministry if you have it all together, right? If you've earned it and put yourself all together. And yet what God was doing is he wasn't answering our prayers because he was stripping us away of all the things that we were so attached to that was keeping us from moving forward in ministry. And, and we, I had a cousin come up who was not a believer at the time, by the way, who came up and just knew everything we we're going through, also saw all the good stuff happening, Mike being invited into missions, me starting to go to seminary and work at a local church for the first time, and God was just opening up these dreams of ours that we didn't know he'd ever open up. Now, we were losing a lot at the same time, but she said, you guys are the power of unanswered prayer. That's what she said. So what she's saying is, God's at work in your life. It may not be, I even know, it may not be probably what you're praying for, but I see God. 
And then later on, she started her own journey into being saved, into walking towards Christ, saying, I want what they have. I want this redeeming God who uses all things for his glory, not mine, to prove himself. And in that glory, it's really good for us. It's an even better blessing than we could bless ourselves. So I want to look with um, the rest of our teaching time here. How does perseverance actually work? Okay, so perseverance is the capacity to persevere, of course, which in the Greek is a a dokami, is the Greek word. Okay, so we're going to see this in the next few verses. Where suffering produces dokami, perseverance, right? Translated as trial, approval, or demonstration. I want you to understand that. Dokami our word for perseverance, or the Greek word for our word perseverance, actually means trial, approval, or demonstration. And we'll look at what is the perseverance demonstrating. What demonstration is important to God in us, you see. And so the process or result or trial that proves approved character, it's proof that what is tested is true. So look with me. Um, on this next verse, as we'll look at how this is used, 2 Corinthians 8.2. How that in a severe test, dokami, of affliction, the fullness of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the richness of their generosity. And what Paul, sorry, I'll, I'll cue on the next one. So what Paul is saying here is that in poverty, it's not normal that people give generously. And so the severe test right? The severe, the severe perseverance, the severe demonstration of what? Of Christ in them, see? Christ is being approved in them, demonstrated in them, because in their poverty, they're giving generously. He's saying that just really doesn't usually happen. It's a proof that God is proving his character in them. Next slide. For this reason, I also wrote you to discover whether you could stand the test, the dokami, in, in everything you are obedient. And so there's, there's an obedience in here, right? There's, they're saying the demonstration, the test, shows that you can only be obedient if Christ is in you. It shows that, see? Your obedience is not what, what, what proves your character. Your obedience is an outflow that proves Christ in you. Next slide. 2 Corinthians 9.13, by their approval, dokumies of this service, they glorify God for your obedience, stemming from your confession in the gospel of Christ and for the generosity of your partnership with them and with everyone. And what he's saying here is that, that being invested in the church, being invested in the gospel, does not prove your character. Does not, I, I mean, I, in my younger years with the Lord, I've been walking with the Lord probably about 33 years now, I remember I'd go through a hard time and I, this was my attitude. It wasn't so good. I'm just going to warn you, okay? So my attitude was, okay, Lord, well, you can be unfaithful to me, but I'll prove that I'm faithful to you. Yeah, it didn't go so well, right? But, that, but I still thought that I was proving my faith, see, by, by being committed to the church and the gospel and partnering in the gospel. What Paul is saying that, no, that actually it's a demonstration of Christ that you are committed to the church. You are committed in the gospel. See, I think of everyone that has just 
committed themselves, especially over this last year and a half as we've gone through transitions in this church. I think of people that just stepped in where there was need in children's ministry and, and, and in small groups and in and, and every little thing that we did to keep the ministry calendar going, to keep Mexico happening, to keep VBS happening, to keep our children being, being taught and ministered to. When, when we went through a trial, what was demonstrated is that Christ is in us. That Christ will not let his church fail, see? And I think that Paul would say the same thing to us. Your demonstration, your partnership in the gospel demonstrates that Christ is really in you. And then the next one, since you seek proof, demonstration that Christ is speaking through me, so he's actually speaking to the Bereans at this point, which is a good thing, he's honoring them. He's saying, in teachers, since you're not just bedazzled by me, since you're actually looking to see if Christ is demonstrated in me, he says he is not weak towards you, but powerful among you. See, the beautiful thing is that, that they, the Bereans were looking for proof that Christ is in Paul. They weren't looking just to be impressed by Paul's speaking, impressed by Paul's knowledge. They weren't just looking for a, a pastor or a preacher to just impress them. They weren't just looking to be entertained. They weren't looking for something, somewhere good to go on a Sunday, right? He was saying, since you're looking for Christ in me, God is going to be powerful in you. It's a beautiful thing. And so perseverance, right? As we continue the, how do, how do we get this thing? How do we actually, how does God build this in our life? Because we can't get it. It's him in us that gives it to us. It works in us as a refining agent, Theologian William Barclay said, Dokami is used of metal, which has been passed through the fire so that everything impure has been purged out of it. Everything impure. I think of my attitude when I first walked with Christ. That was rather impure. It, I, had more, I had more confidence in me than I did in God. I had to go through some severe trials to correct that. To, to burn away that draw, see? It describes something out of which every alloy of impurity has been eliminated. See, Malachi 3.3 says, God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And what we have to understand is that the refiner's fire does not bring forth a better me. The refiner's fire does not bring forth a better you. That's not God's goal. A refiner's fire, our trials, the need for perseverance brings forth a clearer image of Christ in me. That's what Paul wants us to get. And, and, and if this refiner's fire, if you're going through trials and, it, and, and all we can see is you trying to prove a better you, well, I would say you've got to go back to whose character you're trying to prove. You've got to get on your knees and say, forgive me. Lord, show you, not me. See, as, as, as John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. And I think of the, the gift of Christ in us and how we all want more Jesus, right? We all want to feel closer to Jesus and we sing that. We want more of you, more of you. Well, Paul is saying how. How we, want, how we get more of him is we get less of us. We want to prove his glory, not our own. We want his character proven through our trials, not ours, you see. 
so that the genuine, genuineness of our faith that Christ lives in us, and Peter says, is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See? So the testing does not result in revelation of a better you or me, but the revelation of Christ in us. And the world needs to see Christ in us because as they see Christ in us, they will respond to Christ because we all go through trials. And that they see God making Christ evident in you and turning your trials around to to a whole different perspective, they may want that too. And that's what God's all about is saving souls. So therefore... We are all being purposed for this bigger purpose, see, that God uses our trials and struggles to sanctify us for his demonstration. Now, just to let you know, there's no age limit on this, right? So there's, God refines every child of God from the beginning, from the time that they're little in their faith to the time that they go home and see him face to face. I think of my grandson who's just been going through it since we moved, and, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I just don't see God answering those prayers for him. And then I see God moving us farther, and they're the opposite of what I'm praying. And I have to trust that, that God is at work in him, proving his character to him, building his faith, God's, the gift of faith in him, see. So no matter how young or how old, God keeps doing this. So that there's less of us and more of him for the world to see. And it's this sanctification process we go through, which is really the next slide there. Sanctification, being set apart for God's purposes and fitted to live for his glory. Fitted to live for his glory, you see. This is why we go through trials. This is what they accomplish in his life, to be fitted for Christ's glory, First Peter says this in 1, 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary. Yeah, it's necessary for most of us. You have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See? In the end, we will see the one who lives in us, that he is real. Those of us women in here that have had babies, we kind of get a glimpse of that. I remember, you know, being, carrying this baby for nine months, knowing in my head that I have a baby in me, seeing glimpses of that baby in a sonogram, hearing a heartbeat, feeling the kick. Everything tells me I have a baby, but when you see the baby, you're like, oh, it's so real, Like, it's not a pretend baby. It's really a baby. Like, it has a life of its own. And and, and I think that's how it's going to be when we see Jesus almost. Just a glimpse of that is is we know Jesus is real. We feel him. We experience him. Our faith convinces us of this. But when we see him face to face, we're going to be, he's so real. Right? It's going to be very similar to that. Right? And it's our sufferings that make him more real to us and to others. See? So the true believer's faith will be made evident by the trials we experience so that others will know that Christ lives in us, you see, so that we, and so that we can rest in the knowledge that our faith in Christ is real and lasting because God is in us. 
And so just as we have had to understand whose character is being proven through our trials, likewise we must understand whose love is steadfast. Remember we looked at verse 5 following our text. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so therefore steadfast love does not begin with us. I would love to be able to prove my love to God. But every time I try, I will fail. But when I lean on God's love in me to demonstrate his character through me, somehow I succeed. See, steadfast love comes from God, not from us. I, I refer to the infamous um, 1 Corinthians 13 verse, right? Or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? We, we read this at weddings. We, we read this to our spouses when we're mad at them. You know, like God, God's love is patient and kind and, you know, it doesn't account for wrongs, which I'm the one with the big history of everything he's done wrong for years. He could quote that back to me too. So none of us actually have this kind of love. See, this is the point point of the scripture is that the, the agape, the love that, it, that the Greek word used in that, that, that chapter is agape love, which is God's love. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. Okay? It's, it's this. It's that God is so filled with love for the world and so filled with love for you and me that even if the only way he could get a relationship with us is to give us his only son, he'll do it. Most of us would call that dysfunctional and unhealthy. If you had someone in your life that would only have a relationship with you because you gave them something, you would be, forget it. I can live without you, thank you very much. It, it's insane kind of love. That, that's the sacrificial love, see? That God's love loves us so much that even though we had to give everything he had to get our love, he was willing to do it. And so the agape is that God's love is, right? So if we, if I'll read chapter, um, I'll just read it to you, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, how we usually read it, love is, but the actual translation would be this. God's love is patient. God's love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. God's love is not proud. God's love is not rude. God's love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. God's love keeps no record of wrongs. God's love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. God's love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God's love never fails. This is the God that is in you and I. This is the God whose character is being proven through our trials and whose steadfast love helps us to love God through our trials. John explains it this way in 1 John 4, 8 through 10. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, you see. That because God is love, God acts with love toward an undeserving world to save us from our sins and reconcile us into a relationship with himself. And therefore, salvation is based only on God's love. And so, 
It's not our love that is steadfast, but God's love in us that makes us steadfast in faith, helps us to persevere in trials, and results in character, his character being proven, and brings us hope and peace. But it all begins with receiving God's love. You see, when I read 1 Corinthians 13, I have to first ask myself, do I, have I received God's love? Because I can't be that kind of patient and kind and pure and, and keep no record of wrongs. And I can't do that. I can't be that selfless unless I have God's love in me. And when I'm going through a trial with someone who is very unloving, who is, who is very selfish, who is very cruel, the only way I'm able to show love to that person is that God's unconditional, steadfast love is in me, and I have to tap into that, because I don't have it myself, you see. And whenever I try to prove myself, I fail, right? I think of when you're holding that baby, and you think when that newborn baby is just so sweet, you think, you'll never fail this child. You'll never lose your temper, you never let that child down. You'll never make a selfish decision as a mother. And then we are brought into the mirror face to face every day that all of us are human and we all only know a selfish love. And when that child's selfish will clashes, clashes with our selfish will, especially in the middle of the night or rebellion, we see that we don't have that steadfast kind of love, but God does, see? And so putting all this together, if we place our faith in Christ in us, our confidence in God's character will give us a sustaining hope and a faith of substance that will be helpful for others and stabilizing for ourselves no matter the trial. See, this is true even when we feel like we're failing. We all go through doubts. As a pastor, I have them too. We all wonder where God is. We all have dark valleys. Is there really a God? We all go through those valleys. But since God's love is steadfast and God's love in us is being proved, he is faithful when we are not. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithful, and if I was Timothy, I would have wrote, When we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so all that to say, our, our key spiritual truth this morning is this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and steadfast. I'm sorry, key spiritual truth. It is God who wills in us and works in us and brings our faith to completion. It is God, not us. And that leads us to our so what, right? How does this all, how do we bring this home? So what? Have faith in Christ, Corey Ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor, said, It is not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. Have faith in Christ in you. Have faith in the Holy Spirit in you that God is proving his character and he cannot disown himself. See? Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, you see. And so God wants to bring you and I to a place where we cannot fix ourselves because his desire is for a relationship with each of us and to free us from the self-deception that we can do it on our own, 
See, it's hard for us to understand a God who allows trials in our lives. It's hard for us to understand a God who brings trials for this purpose into our lives. The saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, that's just not true. It should actually say, God won't give you more than you and him, he in you can handle. God won't give you more than he can handle in you because he wants us to rely on him. It's hard for us not to be able to be self-sufficient, see? Everything in our culture says, grow up, be self-sufficient, succeed, impressed, demonstrate yourself, prove your self-reliance, your independence, your performance. And God knows this will only keep us far from him because a self-sufficient person does not need God. They don't think they need God, see? That's the deception they're in. And all of us, whether they... at the very least, we, we, all of us are going to die. And we all are going to need God at that moment to usher us into a life with him. And even more than that, God wants to have a beautiful relationship with us now. And he wants to be our strength. And he wants to be our joy and our hope and our peace and our confidence. And, and, and quite honestly, I don't know how people go through trials without that confidence. Because I wouldn't have that confidence in me or this world but my peace and my confidence is in him. And he wants us to get to that solid place so that, so that we can worship God unconditionally. See, God is looking for worshipers who will worship him no matter what. Right? There's a, there's a solid place we get to in our lives when we can worship him in the hard times and the good times because he is God. Whether or not he is doing or isn't doing something in my life, whether or not I can see it or not, he is worthy to be worshipped. And God wants us there, not because he's selfish or proud, but because that's a good place for us. (laughs) Because we become what we behold, see? We become what we behold. Think of all the celebrity and pop music uh, worship. What happens to our culture? It becomes what it worships. Worship was created for us to become like Jesus, to be freed from this selfish stuff, to become more and more like him, you see. And so as we learn to unconditionally worship him, no matter what's going on in our lives and put our confidence in him, he gets us through those dark times. And when people see us worshiping the Lord, when everything is going south, something, God touches something in them, And they're like, I want that peace too. I want that foundation because my life isn't so perfect either, you see. And so our closing comfort is this, that, that the image of the Holy Spirit giving to us this purifying agent in us, right? The image of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is usually fire. We see it in the burning bush, the fire by night. And it always reveals who? God to the person. And God is in the business of revealing himself to you and I, especially through our trials. See, because he wants us to know him. But he's not like a forest fire. He's not an incinerator. He does not completely destroy. God the Holy Spirit is a refiner's fire. See, there's a big difference. Some of us are afraid to really trust in him, to give our lives fully to him because we've only been around forest fires and we've only had love from people that destroy maybe. 
but God is in the refining business where he's burning away all the, the dross. And he will burn it away, by the way. Uh, he will purify his people. It's good for us. It will feel sometimes like he is a forest fire in the church, in our own hearts, in our lives. But he's not. We have to hold on to the confidence that God is good. He's a refining fire. He loves us and he's, make, he's bringing out gold in us. He's bringing out Christ in us, who we saw Paul said in comparison to gold is, is so much more. Gold will perish, but Christ in us never will, you see. And this refining fire, the perseverance that is needed, that's being proven in me, is burning away me and bringing forth him. And I say, burn away, Lord. And that's why Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings and I boast in my weaknesses because there's going to be less of me and more of him. The trials are bringing out a steadfast faith, my church. He said, you old people are not consumed. You are not destroyed because you are mine. And as we close, I'd like us to read together the last verse. If you can see it, <clears throat> if not, just if you can see it, read it with me. After you have suffered for a short time, God who gives all grace will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. Let's pray.